All right. Okay, I know we've already done this once, but one more time. Students, where are the students? Oh, look at that. Who are the student leader, the, the, the staff? Where are you? I saw a handful. Can you give the staff a big hand for bringing in these students? That is, uh, that's, that is amazing. Um, so you heard a little, little, bit of my, little bit of my background, I, uh, and I'll tell more of my story uh, later on in the message, but uh, I got saved on the college campus. And so I am a direct result of the efforts of everything you're trying to do on, on this beautiful campus up here. I was at the University of Houston. Uh, I was a baseball player there. Y'all know Morgan Stevens down the street? Okay. Don't blame me for this, but he, he and I were teammates. He's the one that actually led me to the Lord. Don't hold that against me. Um, but uh, and certainly don't expect me to be as smart as him either. But, uh, but Morgan's one of my best friends. Peter, uh, as, as Forrest Gump would say, is one of my best good friends. Um, we have uh, known each other for a very, very long time, done a lot of life together. We've laughed a lot. We've cried a lot. We've uh, disagreed, uh, usually on the same side of, the, of, of different arguments. And so he's kind of always been my... Uh, my go-to guy to help encourage me, but uh, I love, love your pastors and love this team here, and there's a handful of you that I still get to keep in touch with uh, periodically, but I was. I was in ministry for about 15 years, uh, specifically working on the college campus. My last stint was at SMU uh, in Dallas. That's actually how we ended up in Dallas. Um, left the campus in 2012 and traveled with, some of you may know, Dr. Rice Brooks, uh, who's one of the, the founding members of Every Nation, but he's also, he's written several books. Uh, the most recent one he wrote was called Man, Myth, or Messiah. Has anybody got a chance to, to see that book, which spurred on the, the, the movie, the sequel to God's Not Dead, uh, God's Not Dead 2. And I actually gave Pastor Rice a hard time about the whole God's Not Dead 2. Like, God's not dead, again. You know, like, this, God's still not dead, you know. Um, but, uh, but I did get to travel a lot with Pastor Rice, and um, uh, we do a lot of evangelism training together. Uh, but in the, over the last three years, I've actually uh, gotten out of vocational ministry. How many of you know that if you are a believer, you're always in ministry? You're always in ministry. I just do it now under the guise of a business owner. Uh, and so I have a business that I'm running in, in Dallas, and, uh, but still get a chance to come and, and, uh, and minister from time to time. Um, I did not come alone this weekend. I brought my, my son. Bo, you want to stand up and turn around and wave to everybody? This is my, this is my little man here. He's, our, he's the youngest of three. In fact, we actually have a couple of pictures. If we can, uh, just so you know that I'm, I, I didn't hire him. Um, <laughs> So this is, this is my family. Um, uh, obviously, my wife and I in the top picture. This is on the first day of school. Uh, our kids go to Trinity Christian Academy there in Dallas. But on this bottom right corner from left to right, it's oldest to youngest. So Hattie, actually, last time I came and preached here, Hattie was with me. I want to say it was two or, th- two or three years ago. Um, she is a seventh grader. Still don't think I'm old enough to have a seventh grader, but she keeps getting older, and I stay the same age. It's It's amazing. <laughs> Um, Lane is in the middle. She is my fourth grader. Uh, she's a 10-year-old. She is the comedian of the family. Just keeps us all laughing. And then you've already met Bo. He is uh, our nine-year-old third grader, Mr. Athlete, plays everything, does it all. Uh, and he's very, very kind to boot. So uh, one more picture. Uh, my smoking hot wife. We were in uh, Costa Rica uh, back in October. And um, you can't tell in that picture, but it, has anybody ever been to Costa Rica? It is the most humid place on the planet, and I am just dripping with sweat here. So I put this picture up because I was able to Photoshop a lot of the uh, spots on the shirt, but, but that, was a, that was a fun picture. But that's my beautiful wife, Allison, and uh, she was sad she couldn't be here this weekend. 
She's got gymnastics with my two daughters today, so that's why they couldn't be here. Um, y'all ready to get in the Word? Yeah. Now, I understand, I, I know that they told me that y'all, my pastor, Pastor Robert from Gateway, y'all been listening to him the last couple of weeks, so you've heard a certain standard of preaching, you're going to have to settle this week, okay? So he's here, I'm way down here. Um, but uh, anytime I get asked to go and preach, I usually have uh, three or four core messages that, uh, th- that I preach on. It's usually going to be somewhere around grace or evangelism, uh, something usually in one of those veins, making disciples, the importance of that. Today is, is going is to be somewhat a blend of all of those, but it's, it's, a, it's a message that I've never preached before publicly. Um, but it's one that I feel like over the last three or four months, I've been preaching nearly daily in my, in my interactions with people. Um, and it's a message that when you hear what I'm talking about, there's a percentage of you that are going to kind of want to check out because it's like, eh, we've I'm kind of already taken care of that. That's squared away. I want to implore you not to do that because one of two things, actually one of three things is going to happen by the end of the day. Number one, either you are going to hear it and just ignore it and move on. Number two is it is forever going to impact your life and you will never forget this moment again. Or three, you will be better equipped to help people. And I think if we can focus on the latter two to say, hey, either I'm going to let this impact me or I'm going to learn this so that it can impact others. Okay. Can we, can we be okay with that today? What I want to talk to you about today is, uh, it's a, the title of the sermon is called must be, must be. Now, when Jesus came in on the scene over 2,000 years ago, there was a lot of people saying different things about who he could be, what he might be. Is he a prophet? Must be. Is he a teacher? Must be. Is he a drunkard? Must be. Is he, is, does he have a demon? Must be. I mean, there, d- depending on the, the vantage point and the perspective you're coming from, there were a lot of different pictures about Jesus. But what we a lot of times don't ever think about is that Jesus actually had a must be for all of us. And we read about it in John 3, and I'm going I'm to unpack this here in a moment. But one thing Jesus said in John chapter 3 is he said, you must be born again. Must be born again. So what I want to talk to you about today very simply is, have you been born again? Now, the reason I feel like I felt like I was supposed to talk about this is in every conversation that I've had, keep in mind with Christians, people in the church, is when I ask this question, a majority of the time, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but I would say somewhere around 70, 75% of the time, the response I get to that question is, I'm not sure. Now, you would think, if one question, if your eternity hinges on one question, wouldn't you want to be certain? I'll ask that again. Wouldn't you want to be certain? Yes. All right, I'm, I'm interactive here, okay? You know, you got to keep in mind, I was a pitcher in college, all right, on the baseball team. If I threw a ball, if I threw a strike, yeah, all right. So if, I'm, if, I'm throwing, if, if, if I say something and it's even close to an amen, help me, okay? It's not that I'm insecure. That's just how I'm hardwired, all right? So uh, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to three places. I'm sorry, two places. First one is John chapter 3. And the second one is Matthew 7. Now, second, before we get to John 3, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
Now keep in mind, Paul wrote this to a church. He said, examine yourselves. See if you're even in the faith. Is it possible that there are people in the church that think they're going to heaven that really aren't? I'm just asking, is it possible? The answer is yes, it is possible, and I'm going to prove it to you today. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Remember that, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, oh, shucks. Thanks so much. You're really kind. Let's go get some coffee. You would kind of expect when, when someone comes to Jesus with all these compliments, like, hey, Jesus, you're the man. I mean, I know what all my Pharisee brothers are saying about you, but I think you're on point. You would think Jesus would be like, oh, well, good. Well, you can be one of my disciples. But look at how Jesus responded to Nicodemus. Most assuredly, I say to you, in other words, hear every word, Nicodemus, I'm about to say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. Now, he's not referring to water baptism there. He's saying the water, like when the woman breaks the water in the womb, that's the water he's referring to. Because again, the analogy is between physical birth and spiritual birth. He says, unless one is born of water of a woman and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you, what, must be born again. Now, I want you to keep in mind the context of of who Jesus is talking to. He is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Now, if you're taking notes today, uh, point number one here is, very simply, you must be born again. If you're not taking notes today, Point number one, very simply, is you must be born again. Go ahead and write it down anyway. Type it into a text or something. You must be born again. Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. Now, I know Pharisees get a bad rap. You know, we, we, we read how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, and it is true. They got very legalistic. They got to where Jesus was coming, and, and in some ways, in their perspective, contradicting the law, which was their whole, their whole existence was based on that law. But we also have to keep in mind that the Pharisees were actually upstanding, very moral people. They were the most conservative theologians of the day. And so Jesus is talking to this Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, I'm going to point out a few things about Nicodemus that maybe you never thought about before. Number one, Nicodemus attended church. Now, back then they called it synagogue. But he attended church faithfully, regularly. Number two, he prayed every single day. So he was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. He attended church. Number three, he read the Bible. And I'll take it even a step further. He memorized the first five books of the Bible. He had to as a Pharisee. Now, I know that doesn't impress you because you've probably all memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I know you've already done that, but back then, in Hebrew, kind of a big deal. All right, now keep in mind Leviticus is the one that you, kind of, you fudge on when you do your Bible in a year thing. It's like, oh, Leviticus, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I learned how to speed read through Leviticus, you know? He memorized the first five books of the Bible. Not chapters, not, not paragraphs, 
books, 187 chapters worth, okay? Went to Bible, he prayed, memorized the Bible. He tithed faithfully, not only out of his income, but he tithed out of his spice rack. He gave a tenth of everything he had back to the church. And he fasted twice a week, which is twice a week more than I do, okay? My joke is I fast between meals. I'm fasting right now. You don't see me eating. I'm fasting. I'm being holy. So here's Jesus, attended church, prayed, read the Bible. I'm I'm sorry, Nicodemus. Attended church, prayed, read the Bible, tithed, fasted twice a week. Let's take it a step further. He believed in God. He believed in God, the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The same God that we believe in. Nicodemus had faith in God. Now watch this. He believed in Jesus. Here's a man, attended church, prayed, read his Bible, tithed, fasted twice a week, believed in God, believed in Jesus. If you are just a common spectator, you would think, This guy's checked every box. But when Jesus came in contact with him, he said, unless you've been born again. Do you think it's important to understand what it means to truly be born again? Nicodemus didn't quite understand what he was talking about, and he he brought it back, and, and in his mind, and I think we probably would respond the same way, it's like, how can you be born again if you don't understand the spiritual context that Jesus is referring to, He's, he's liking it and comparing it to natural birth. And Jesus doesn't disagree with them. I'm going to come back to that here in a moment. But point number one is you must be born again. Point number two is, sorry, I'm working off my uh, iPad here. And uh, sometimes it gives me a, a hard time. Point number two is this. Many people have not been born again. Many people have not been born again. Now, I had you in Matthew chapter 7. I want you to go down to uh, verse 13. If you don't have it with you, we'll we'll have the, uh, the scripture appear on the screen. Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus himself, and I know it's Jesus because it's written in red letters, says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide, everybody say wide. For wide is the gate, and broad, everybody say broad, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many, everybody say many, there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find the narrow, the narrow road. So let me ask you a, a question. I promise you this is not, I know sometimes pastors try to trick you with their questions because frankly it's fun. This isn't a trick question. Is many more than few? Okay, by that definition, there are more people going to hell than going to heaven. There are more people going to hell than going to heaven. I remember when I was uh, working at SMU, you know, we we were very, our structure and our, 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 our messages are probably very similar to, to the kind that you, that you hear uh, here at the Springs, but one of the one, there was one Tuesday night I was preaching on the campus and um, and the message was on lordship and I was talking about Jesus as Lord not just as Savior. There's a big difference. And afterwards, one of the brand new students came up to me who I'd actually talked to him before the service, 
And he said, man, I'm, I'm a freshman. I'm excited to be here. And, and I, I grew up in a Christian home and I'm excited to get plugged in. And I've heard great things about your ministry, blah, blah, blah. And I said, man, great. Come here. And he sits on the front row and I'm preaching this message on lordship. And afterwards he comes up to me. He said, Hey, he said, so are, are most of your messages, you know, that, that strong? I'm like, well, I hope so. I don't want to have a weak sermon. I mean, you know, you don't want to describe your message as, Hey, I was pretty weak today. It was good. I said, well, I said, what do you mean by, what do you mean by strong? And he said, I don't know, man. I, I feel like, I feel like your message, you're kind of leaving out a, a big chunk of, of, of the people. And I, I, it's great. And, and I don't mean anything negative by this. If you're a freshman and had a great experience in your youth ministry growing up, that's, that's great. I love it. But it was funny to me that he came up and he was going to tell me who had been doing ministry for several years where I was mess, missing it on the first sermon he's ever heard from me. I thought that was funny because at the time I was like 33, you know, and I'm like, Hey, I was the same age as Jesus, you know? I'm kidding. So, but he comes up to me. He goes, yeah, I feel like you're missing a big, big part of the demographic. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, he goes, there's, there's, you're talking to everybody that wants to be like this, you know, captain charismatic, you know, kamikaze Christian. He said, what about kind of that middle road of, of the people that, that just, you know, want to go to church and just be good people. And they just want to hear some, some good messages. I said, so you're telling me I'm leaving out the middle road of the, you know, just kind of that middle road of people. He said, yeah. I said, wow. I said, that's, that's, I, I really appreciate your insight there, but can you, can you answer something for me? And he said, yeah. I said, I didn't know there was a middle road. And I said, now I know that there's a broad road that leads to destruction and there's a narrow road that leads to life. But now apparently there's like this HOV lane that you can just kind of cruise through. And, and hey, I get, you know, I, I get all the blessings of God and I get to experience all the things of God, but I don't really have to do anything. I said, is that what you're referring to? And he goes, well, uh, uh, never came back. He never came back. Now, look, I'm not saying he's going to hell. I'm just not certain he's going to heaven. Okay. And I, and I, and I actually, I kept praying for him. I would see him on campus and he'd kind of look the other way. But here's my thought is, I wonder how many people come to church and think that same way. Well, that was a good message. I hope everybody else does something about it. And see, what Jesus is telling us here is that there are many on the wrong path. But I would think a majority of that many don't know it. I mean, think about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus because he had lived a pretty much morally impeccable life his whole life. And he wanted, he, he didn't want the priests, he didn't want the rabbi, he didn't want any of them to tell him he was going to heaven. He wanted the one, again, that he believed that Jesus was the son of God. He wanted Jesus to tell him, you're going to heaven. And he said, what must I do to be saved? Y'all remember this story? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he started listing them out. And the, what did the rich young ruler say? He's like, I got it. I, I obeyed the law. I follow the rules. I'm good, right? Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything. And the guy was downcast because Jesus spoke to the one area of his life that he wasn't willing to give to Jesus. And how do you know you've been born again? How do you know you've been born again? I'm going to talk about this here in my next point, but it's when your heart is bent towards doing everything God wants you to do. And that's your default. If you go down in Matthew 7, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 21. Again, this, this scripture has boggled my mind. My, uh, I've, got, I've got a relative that texted me, probably, this is probably a decade ago, this one scripture. He said, Jared, I haven't been able to sleep at night because of this one scripture. And we're going to pick it up. Matthew 7, verse 21. 
Jesus again saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, is that the right title for Jesus? To call him Lord? Not, again, not a trick question, I promise. Say, yeah, that's, that's good. Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, there's that word again, many will say to me in that day, what day do you think he's referring to? That day of eternity, where we step out of this life into the next. Many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, watch this, prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. Now these were not, no offense to anyone back there, these were not back row Christians. They're the ones doing all the ministry up here in front. Prophesying, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick. No doubt praying for people to get saved. They're going to come to me in that day, says Jesus, and say, Lord, Lord, but didn't we do all the stuff that you're supposed to do in ministry? And watch what he says. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Is this a wake-up call to the church? I go to church, I pray, I tithe, I fast, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. I'm working, doing the works of the ministry. But then we show up into heaven and Jesus is like, checking the list, you're not on here. I don't know you. Yeah, you did a lot of religious things and I think your heart might have even been in the right place, but I didn't know you. And that was the problem again with the rich young ruler. He did all the right things, but he didn't know Jesus. When you come in contact with Jesus, you know you've been changed. Again, I'm going to come back to that, but we're leading up to something here. Number three, birth, being born, is a radical change. Being born is a radical change. Now, there's this obscure verse in Hosea chapter 9, uh, verse 11, where Hosea is writing and he's, he's prophesying and he's talking about Ephraim. And Ephraim, this is, this is an analogy. He's, he's really giving the, the Ephraim was a, uh, a, a symbol or a type of the church. And so listen to what he says about Ephraim or the church. He says, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. Watch this. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Now, I want you to think about the physical reality of birth. There is conception, there's pregnancy, and then there's birth. I'm going to ask the experts in the room, ladies, has there ever been a moment in history where in the same moment it went from conception to birth? Ever? No. There was conception and then a term of pregnancy and then birth. Now, the reason I'm having these conversations with people, which I was, I was uh, referring to earlier, is because one of the questions I like to ask people is, hey, when did you get saved? When were you born again? And it's funny to me that I hear different stories, and actually my story sounds very, very similar. They'll say, well, I got saved at five or six or ten or whatever. I went to youth camp or whatever. 
But then I kind of did my own thing for a long time and I didn't really grow much in the Lord. And, and, and then things got really, really hard and, and I was kind of miserable. And then I finally decided, okay, I'm ready to give my life to God. And that's when everything changed. So here's the question I have is, is well, so did you really get saved and born again way back here? Or did, or did something get sown? Was there a seed sown into your life? Was there some type of a conception that happened back here? And then there was a process of pregnancy, of a spiritual pregnancy where God, and, I, and again, I'm going to ask the ladies, men, don't answer this because you don't know. <laughs> Women, after conception, before birth, is there growth during pregnancy? There's some growth. I've seen it. My wife's had three of them. Another question, ladies only, although the men can laugh. Women, that growth process of pregnancy, are there times where it's pretty miserable? Be honest. Be honest. Some of you are like, oh, I just loved every minute of pregnancy. Liar. You are a liar. My wife, who is one of the sweetest people on the planet, I come home and be like, hey, honey, how was your day? Well, you try carrying a bowling ball around. And I didn't ask, didn't ask, didn't ask. Okay, there's, a, there's an element of pregnancy that's miserable. Now, the end result is joy, but there's some misery going on in there. Now, here's, what I, here's what the part I'm getting to. Spiritually, is it possible that when we were young, maybe there was a seed sown? Something was dropped in our hearts that opened our eyes to the reality of God, of Jesus, of this whole thing, but nothing had changed in terms of our nature. And we just, we continue to grow in, in, in our maturity, we continue to grow in our knowledge, we continue to, to experience different things, but at some point, we start getting a little bit miserable. A little bit miserable. That's, that's my whole story, and again, I'm going to share that with you here in a moment. And some of us try to appease the misery with religious activity. We try to make the misery go away by being a better version of ourselves. I mean, it happens every January 1st, right? We wake up, get a case of the do-betters, and all of a sudden think, I'm, this is my year. I have a family member every, I mean, we get together every Christmas. This is my year. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> You know, not unless, not unless something really, really changes. But you know what? We get it. I mean, I've got friends that they've all followed me. I, again, I get it every December 31st to January 1st. They start following me on my Bible app. And so I start seeing day one, hey, he read his Bible. Hey, day two, he read his Bible. And then you start getting to the day like 13 and 17 and all that. It's like, oh, where's all that activity? They're still miserable. Is it possible that they're still miserable because they haven't been born again? I would argue that it is. Go to church, pray, read your Bible, tithe, fast, believe in God, believe in Jesus, but do we know him? Have we been truly born again? That brings me to my final point here. How can I know that I've been born again? How can I know? 1 John 5, verse 13 says this, These things I have written to you who believe, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So even he was telling us, John here was telling us, hey, it's good for you to be convinced of, to know for certain that you've been born again. Now I'll tell you my story. This is how I know that I've been born again. 
Okay. And, and, and before, even before I jump into that, one of the questions I get a lot of times is, well, do I have to remember the date? No, not necessarily. I remember the date. I was 20 years old. It was, it was July 11th, 1998. I was in Nashville, Tennessee. It was about 1045 in the morning. I was wearing a red polo shirt and jeans and brown shoes. And I had my nineties haircut going. Okay. I remember exactly where I was. In fact, I was at that church. It was Pastor or Dr. Rice Brooks, who I was mentioning earlier, was at, at his church in Nashville. Last time I was there, I went and took a picture of the pew I was sitting in. So I remember it vividly, okay? But there's some people that just have a really, really hard time remembering the date. I don't, I, I'm not the person that thinks you have to remember the date, but here's something I will tell you. You're not gonna forget the event. If you meet Jesus, you don't forget it. I'll use another analogy. We were talking about birth earlier. I'll use this analogy. Think about marriage. Now, what if, you know, I, you know, I'll come to people and they say, you know, I'll say, hey, have you been born again? They'll say, well, that one's kind of tough for me. Uh, I mean, it might have been when I was eight. Might have been 14 at youth camp. Probably 25. I don't know, 8, 14 or 25, something like that. It's like this. Think about marriage. Those of you who are married, you may forget the date once, (laughs) but you don't forget the event. But if someone came to me and said, hey, Jared, are you married? And I said, you know, that one's always been kind of tough for me. (laughs) Might have been when I was eight or 14 at youth camp or 25. It was probably 25, either eight or 25. It was one of those two. You'd be like, he's lost it. Like, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, lost it. See, you, you may not remember the date, but you'll always remember the event of when your life got right with God. When I was five years old, I grew up, my, both of my parents were saved. My grandmother was, I mean, you, know, you, got, you got Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, my grandmother. I mean, she's right up there, just a step below. She's a saint, still alive. She'll be 85 this year. Still prays every day, still sends me text messages or notes on Facebook with, hey, here's, here's my scripture for you today. I mean, woman, saint. From the day I was born, she'd pray over me every single night, anytime I spent the night over there. So I had some very godly influences in my life. And at five years old, they came to me and said, hey, Jared, do you want to go to heaven? <laughs> sure. It's like saying, hey, do you want to go to Disney World? Uh-huh. What do I have to do to get there? Clean your room. I'm gone. I go clean my room, come back. Let's go. I mean, go to heaven. That's a great proposition. And I said yes to it. So I go and I, I go through the, you know, say the prayer at church. They, they, they baptize me at five years old. And I'm thinking, I'm in. I did it. I got to swim in church. got to say a prayer. They had this whole meal for me. I got like some gifts. It was actually pretty cool. I thought, hey, can we do this again next year? But then from five all the way to age 20, there was a 15-year gap there. It was the pregnancy. There was something birthed in me at five years old, but it had not been born yet. And during that 15 years, I was figuring out what I really believed. Because how many of you know that you can say you believe something until it gets tested? You never really know what you believe until you're tested. It's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. We, you, you find out what you believe when, when you get out of the, your, the roof of your parents' home. That's why I love working with college students. Because you get to college, now you're tested. 
now you know that, man, there's some stuff that I've got to figure out and what I really believe about these issues, especially with all the political stuff that's going on. I mean, there, you could, it'd be real easy to fall on one side or the other. It's good to know what you believe and why you believe it. And I was in that stage of life for 15 years. Graduated high school, went to college, got a scholarship, as I mentioned, to play baseball at the University of Houston. I went from the last man on the pitching roster to the number one guy on the, on the, uh, on the staff. My head was just, I couldn't even fit through that door. My head was so big, full of pride, and I was living completely for myself. I mean, use your imagination, college athlete, that was me. And I was proud of it. I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed that lifestyle. But then my sophomore year, first game of the season, first inning, I'm the number one guy on our staff. We're a top 10 team nationally. I pop my elbow. I'm out for the whole year. Miserable. Again, I'm in pregnancy. I'm towards the end of the pregnancy. I don't realize it yet, but I am miserable because my whole identity was gone. I was no longer a baseball player. I was a former baseball player who was injured. That's when Morgan Stevens came in, started reaching out to me, started ministering to me. And it was through his, his commitment to making sure that I wasn't kind of sidestepping the truth of God that he hit me, hit me right between the eyes with the gospel. And that's what got me to Nashville was for this conference where I, where I bowed my knee and gave my heart completely to Jesus for the first time. Now, I don't have time to tell you that whole uh, set of circumstances of, of how that happened, but I will tell you this, that when it, when it happened for me, I fell on the ground and boo-hooed for like half an hour. I'm talking snot bubbles and everything, all right? It was ugly. And when I got up, I was different. The funny thing is, I don't know if I ever actually said a prayer. And some of my religious folk back at home are like, well, I don't think you've really been born again. Unless you said the sinner's prayer. I'm like, I, don't, I never said a prayer. But I met Jesus. When I was down there in my mess, I met Jesus and I stood up. I was different. There was a nature change on the inside of me. The cuss words that used to just fly out of my mouth, no one told me, hey, you need to quit cussing. They just stopped. They just stopped. I didn't actually realize it until about six weeks after that event when I woke up in the middle of the night to go get a drink of water and what inevitably happens when you get up in the middle of the night to go get a drink of water? What do you do? Stub your toe. Stub my toe and I go, oh, hallelujah. And I was like, that's the word? That, that was the explicative, right? That... It was just, it, it, was a, it was a changed heart. The, the, the constant drinking, the, the desire to just be at every party. No one told me to quit doing that. I just didn't want to anymore. I just didn't want to. It's not like I was like, well, I guess I got to quit. Didn't happen anymore. The biggest thing that changed was how I viewed and treated women. They used to be a target, and then a trophy, and then trash. God completely changed it into they are a treasure, these are my sisters, and I'm going to protect them. And I'm going to fight off any wolf that's trying to get in, a, in an inappropriate way with one of my sisters. And I did. Did not date for four years from that moment on. And then God dropped a little light on a pretty little girl from Hillsborough, Texas. I said, how about her, God? He said, yep. <laughs> but it wasn't her, so I went with my, my wife later. No, I'm kidding. That was my wife. That was my wife. That was my wife. Sorry. And this April will be 14 years of marriage. And here's, here's what I'm telling you. How do I know I've been born again? I'm going to use this pen as an example. Now, 
I had a Mont Blanc pen all ready to bring, and I left it on my, by my TV in my bedroom. So we're going to go with this little 99-cent piece big. It's pretty nice. All of us are born heading the wrong way. All of us are born on that wide road. Then we come to somewhere like, like a church, or we come to youth group, or a campus ministry, or whatever, and we start hearing about all the promises of God that are that way. And we think, I want that. And so in our own strength, we work as hard as we can to face that way. But then as soon as the pressure gets too hard, we quit. And our default, we immediately go back. I don't need a show of hands, but we've all experienced this. And then we want to try more. We want to try harder. We want to try harder. And then we, we just get tired. And it shoots us right back. And see, what we're trying to do is, is we think that the pressure to change is on us. It's not. The pressure that's on us is to obey. The change comes from God. I, on, on, on July 11th, 1998, it's not like I said, okay, God, let's put a contract together. If you do this, I'll do this. I had, I had done those prayers for 20 years. This was not a contract. This was a covenant where he said, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm not going to rebuild the old one. I'm taking out the heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. And now, on July, for me, on July 11th, 1998, after all the years of trying to face the right way, God came down in one little effort. He changed my heart. Now my default is to obey God. My def- it's, that's my automatic. Now, am I perfect? No, I mean, I still screw up, but, my, but I don't want to. That's the difference. I no longer want to do that. My default is to go and pursue God. Now, I had a young lady. I'm going to close with this. I had a young lady who was in our campus ministry years ago. She's one of, my, one of the favorite girls that I ever, I ever pastored. She's just heart of gold. And I preached a sermon somewhat similar to this. Um, mainly, you know, I talked about my testimony and how I, and I just remember the day and the time and all that. And she came up to me after the service, just tears, mascara all over her face. And I said, hey, what's, what's the matter? And she said, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember when it happened. She said, I, I believe that I'm born again. I just, I don't know for sure because I don't remember the moment it happened. And I asked her very, very simply, I said, if it happened, do you think Jesus was there? She was, well, yeah, of course. I said, well, let's ask him. And I just, I kind of moved her over to the side and I said, just close your eyes and let's just, let's pray and ask him right now. Her name's Katie. I said, I said, Lord, if this happened in Katie's life, you were there. Just show her what it was. And she, as soon as I said that, she fell to the ground and just started dry heaving. She was crying so hard. I said, what happened? She stood up, she said, I was, she goes, I, she was almost like an out-of-body experience. She said, I saw, she goes, I was at a, I was at a camp in, I think it was in Missouri. I was sitting in the corner. I had my, my little pink journal with my, my pen that had a little fuzzy thing on top. And she gave me play-by-play description of what exactly happened. And she said, I even remember what I wrote in my journal that day. I said, what was it? She goes, that's none of your business. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And she said, but that was the moment that I gave my heart to Christ. And I said, okay. And she said, here's the thing, Jared. I, she said, I have not thought about that day since then. 
It's almost like the devil wanted me to forget about it. But as soon as I asked him, I, she said, now I know that I was born again. I said, okay, well, what year was it? And she kind of did the calculation. She remembered the year. She remembered the month. She said, now I just got to go call my mom and figure out what weekend I, or what week I was gone. And I could narrow it down to a week. Guess what she's doing now? She's a full-time youth minister. And she's preaching the gospel. Because, and before that, she was going to go into law. It's amazing what happens when not only we understand that we're born again, but we remember the event and what happened. I have to go back to my event nearly every day because I want to always remember that God is for me. There are some of you here today that you're like me. You remember the day, you remember the time, you remember what song they were playing. There's others of you that you're pretty sure it happened, but you don't know when. We're going to pray for you here in a second. But then there's another group that's here that says, you know what, Jared? I don't know. I really don't know. I hope, I hope that it happened, but I don't really have faith that it happened. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to everybody, everybody, bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to be as alone with the Holy Spirit as you can possibly be. And the first group I want to talk to is that group that says, I'm pretty sure it happened, but I just don't remember the date. I don't remember the event. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up. All over this room. All right, you can put your hands down. For those of you that just slipped your hand up, I'm going to pray the same prayer for you that I prayed for Katie. Lord, if my brother or my sister truly has met you and truly has been born again, Lord, I pray right now you show them that event because you were there. You were there the moment that happened. I pray that you in their heart and in their mind take them back. Take them back to that moment that they could have an assurance God, remind them of the location, remind them of the the surroundings, remind them of the smells. Jesus, bring it back to remembrance. I want to talk to that second group. Those of you that are here and you fall more under the category of someone who's been trying to do the right thing, you're trying to be a good person, but that nature in you is still bent towards doing the wrong thing. No matter how hard you try, your default always comes back to returning to the very thing, the vice, the addiction, the bad decisions, whatever it might be that has plagued you your whole life. And you say, I I want to know I want to be born again. I want God to come in and flip that pen to where my nature now goes the other way. If you're here today and that's you and you want to leave here knowing that you've been born again, I want you to slip your hand up so we can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep them up, keep them up. Praise God. Lord, those that have their hands raised, right here in this moment, right now, 
I pray that they would know you, not know about you, not be able to describe you, not just merely be able to tell stories about things that you did, but God, they would have an intimate knowledge of you in this moment that their life would never, ever be the same. Lord, they want to be born again. They want to know that their eternity is set and secure in heaven. I pray that you bring the same nature change to them that you brought to me and to so many other of my brothers and sisters that are here today. In Jesus' name. Everybody can look up here. Now, it's one thing to have a private moment with the Lord, and I think those are extremely important. But the very first test of whether or not what just happened was real is can we admit it publicly? Now, I'm not, in the, I, I'm not really into embarrassing people or making people feel uncomfortable, but what I am into is helping people push past their fears I'm into helping people push past their limitations of what they think is going to be embarrassing. Let me tell you something. Publicly confessing Christ, this is the safest place to do it. Everybody in here is rooting for you. Now, there were a lot of hands that were raised just then on that second, that second go-round. And even on that first go-round, I want you to come up. If, if you're still unclear on what happened, come up here and one of our team will pray for you. But on the count of three... And the only reason I'm counting to three is that gives you three seconds to build your faith, to stand up. Sometimes we need that. I needed that on July 11th, 1998. I did. If you hadn't counted, I wouldn't be here preaching to you today. I promise you that. But on the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to make your way down here so that we can all celebrate, not just with you, but with the angels in heaven. If you're here today and you, want, you know that today was the day you got born again, I want you to stand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Stand up. Come on. There you go. There you go. Stand up. Come on up. Come on up. Those of you, those of you that raised your hand earlier on the first one and you're still not sure of when it happened, I want you to come up here too. Come stand with someone on our team. We want to pray for you. We want to believe that today is the first day of the rest of your life. We've got a lot of people up here. Some of our other prayer team, some of our leaders can come up here. Please come up here. We need, we need some other people helping pray. And for those of you that are, that are sitting out there and, and, and those of you that, that are born again believers, if you would just stretch your hand, this is, a, this is a powerful moment. Something powerful is happening here in the lives of these people. We're going to believe for life transformation. Father, thank you for those that are up here. (coughs) We thank you, Lord, that you created them, that they are fearfully and they are wonderfully made, but they are also made in your image. And Lord, today I pray that whatever has held them back, whatever addictions, whatever circumstances of their life that have held them back from this moment, Lord, I thank you that today the change, true supernatural transformation that only comes from you is available. 
Lord, give them the faith to receive that. Thank you, Lord. We're going we're gonna to maintain this atmosphere of, of prayer up here. But for everybody else, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. If there's anybody that's out here that still is on the fence, you don't know, still not sure if you're right with God, but you want to know more, you'd like to have somebody reach out to you, talk to you, maybe walk you through some more stuff, I promise you there's some that are here today that still have a lot of questions. I don't blame you if you do. We have some cards that we would like for you to fill out. Tiffany, did you? she's got them back here in the back, our worship leader. Please go see Tiffany. Fill out your name. We'll have someone reach out to you and contact you and help you walk through this. But again, this is the most important decision you will ever make with your life. You don't want to get it wrong. And you don't want to assume that you got it right. Lord, let's, let me just go ahead and lift your hands. So Lord, if you're comfortable with that, Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here today, Lord, under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be on them. God, for those that that are born again, that are right with God and have a a vibrant, ongoing, life-giving relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would bring two or three people across their path in the next week. Lord, that they would be able to share their testimony with, be able to impart their story to you and be able to ask the very simple question, have you been born again? Lord, that we would see in an exponential way lives being transformed. Lord, for those that are here today, again, that are still on the fence, Lord, I pray that you continue to lead them towards you, guide them towards your voice. Lord, that their moment of salvation would come soon. Jesus, we love you and we trust you for it. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We want to respect uh, what's going on up here. So feel free to stick around, chit chat with each other. Go grab some lunch with a stranger. Uh, Otherwise, God bless you, and we'll see you next time.